Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. We've been going through a series on the book of Revelation over the last couple weeks, and our series is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, Hope for Every Generation. And I want to begin today with a little bit of a review. So first of all, this is a letter. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle John. Uh, John wrote the fourth gospel for us, and now he writes in his old age. So he was one of the youngest, if not the youngest, disciple. And now he's an old man. All the other disciples have been martyred. He's the last one left and he is in exile on the island of Patmos, which is just off the coast of uh, modern-day Turkey. And so he writes to these seven churches in Asia Minor, you can see on the map. Now, the situation of these churches is that they are under severe persecution with uh, the pagan Rome in the backdrop. And so John writes this letter uh, in an apocalyptic style. So if you remember, that's a style that is uh, full of symbols and vivid imagery. And it gives us a heavenly perspective on our earthly realities. And so as our series title indicates, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of the devil it's not a revelation of the Antichrist, but a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the way that we interpret this book is with the scriptures. The Old Testament is really our guide in interpreting this book. In fact, if you remember, two-thirds of the passages in Revelation uh, have allusions to Old Testament passages. And so that is how we are to understand it. This book uh, has nothing new. Everything in it has already been said in the rest of Scripture, but now we get this vivid technicolor account. Okay, so last week we saw an awesome, incredible picture of Jesus, and it left John falling at the feet of Jesus as though dead only to have Jesus extend his right hand on John's shoulder and say, Fear not. Everything you are afraid of, I have faced and I have overcome. So you have nothing to fear. Fear not. Now today, we begin with Jesus now addressing his church, his bride. Right, So if we look to the end of Revelation, we see that this is moving towards a wedding feast, a banquet with Jesus and his bride, the church. And so it's important for us to, to remember that the church is the object of Jesus's affection. He is the excited groom who waits for the doors of heaven to burst open so he can be joined to his bride, the church, for all eternity. So these letters to the churches are love letters from a groom waiting to see his bride. These letters are to prepare us 
to be with Jesus when he returns. And they are to seven specific churches in the first century. But in another sense, they are to his church in every age. They are love letters to us even today. So let's look at each one and uh, address and hear what Jesus has to say in order to encourage and comfort uh, us in trial and tribulation and to prepare us for his return. So let's start out with um, verse 1 of chapter 2 here. And so there it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So this is to the angel of the church in Ephesus. We talked about this, I think, on week one, that this is most likely the pastor of the church. The word for angel is the same word that we use for messenger. And so it's not likely a literal angel that this is being given to. Because one, Jesus is addressing sin and his angels uh, are not sinful. Two, it would be difficult to deliver a letter to an angelic being. So again, most likely this is to the leader of each of these churches. And so what he says to Ephesus is, I want you to look upon me in this way. In fact, Jesus gives each church an aspect of the vision from chapter 1 to gaze upon. And so here for Ephesus, he says the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Church at Ephesus, focus on this. I am the God with all power and authority. Holding the seven stars, we're told those are angels, in my hand. And I am also the God who is present with you. I am in your midst, keeping the light of your lampstand lit so that you can be a light to the world. Now in this we see that Jesus is totally aware of the circumstances in this church just as he is with every congregation. He knows what they've endured, how they've suffered and struggled. He knows how they failed. He knows how they've sinned. He sees, he knows. Now, a little bit of the context real quick for Ephesus. The city of Ephesus was a very famous city throughout the ancient world because of its temple dedicated to Diana. This temple was actually one of the seven wonders for, uh, of the ancient world. So it's an incredible structure. It's a big city, and it is a center of the occult, of pagan worship. So that's where uh, this church is located. And so Jesus starts out with a commendation. Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But I have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, 
and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So Jesus says, you are doing good stuff. You are doing good works, and not just casually, but you're working really hard. And you have no tolerance for evil. So good. He says, you guys have even discerned false teachers. There were teachers claiming to be apostles whose teaching was inconsistent with Scripture. And the church at Ephesus sees it. And they call it out. And he says that in the midst of this this tough place, you have been enduring with patience. You have not grown weary. He says, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. And he says, so do I. Now, who are they? They are a group that is trying to merge paganism and Christianity together. And Jesus says, I hate that. And so do you. That's good. So the commendation is this. This church gets it done. They are on it theologically. And they're doing good in the community. What a great comfort. What a great commendation uh, for this church. But he doesn't stop there. He also has a rebuke. Let's take a look at verse 4 and hear the rebuke. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you first had. So Jesus is saying, here's all this good stuff, but here's my, my rebuke. Where's the love? You might think, what love? Right? For this church, we love our theology. We love making an impact in the community. What love are you talking about? Well, what Jesus is talking about is a love for Christ. You've lost the heart of a bride. You're busy for the groom, but you've lost your love for the groom. And as a result, you've lost your love for one another. John 13, 35 tells us this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those things are deeply connected. When we love Christ, it leads us to love one another. Jesus is saying that you will be a light in the world by the way you love me and the way you love one another. And we see this filled out in Acts 2. In Acts 2, the church comes together and they provide for one another's needs, even so much so that some people sell stuff when they see others having a need. And they gather in each other's homes and they break bread and they pray together and they uh, study the apostles' teaching. This love, deep love and fellowship we see Paul in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if you've got all these things, but you don't have love, you're nothing. If you've got all this knowledge, but you don't have love, all these actions, but you don't have love, you're nothing. And so Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, Hey, you've got, you've got the right knowledge, you've got the right theology, but no love. And at the end of the day, if there's no love, then the rest of it doesn't matter. So here's the answer. It's not ditch the theology. The answer is to repent 
of the lack of love, to turn to Jesus in love and to one another in love. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Okay, so if you don't repent, I'm removing the lampstand. What does that mean? It means you won't be a light to the world. What Jesus is threatening here is to remove his blessing and the effectiveness of the church's witness in the city. So he's calling his bride back. Don't just be busy, but be loving. Come back in love. And he says, if you do, there's reward. Let's look at verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, realize to the churches here, this is for all the churches. They don't just circulate this letter and read the section that uh, is about them. They read the whole letter. And so this is for Ephesus, but it's for everyone, and it's for the church throughout the ages. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Eating from the tree of life. If uh, they succeed, they conquer in repenting and conquering sin, returning to their first love, then they will return to God's paradise and eat from the tree of life once again. If you remember last week at our communion service, we talked about the lampstand being originally these symbols of the tree of life. Uh, in the tabernacle. And so here we get this beautiful bookend, kind of this return to the tree of life. We see it in the beginning uh, that Jesus is the one who walks among the lampstands, and we see it in the end um, that if they are uh, successful, if they conquer this sin and repent and return to love, then they will eat of the tree of life again in the paradise of God. Okay, so that's the first church, Ephesus. Let's jump to the next church in Smyrna. Uh, same address, the angel uh, of the church in Smyrna. The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So the second part is a little bit. The angel part is just like Ephesus. But now we get a, a different picture for that church. How is that church to gaze upon Jesus? He says, look upon me and see that I am the first and the last, that I am eternal. I died and now I live. So for Smyrna, it's the eternal Jesus who conquered death that he wants them to see. Well, what's the context in this city? This is a big city. Smyrna is a port city, 250,000 people, a history of loyalty to Rome. There's also a large Jewish, Jewish population that is openly hostile to the church. The spiritual climate there, they are devoted to emperor worship. 
In fact, if you don't confess Caesar is Lord, you are not allowed to buy and sell. And so this cost Christians economically. Now, the Jewish community had made peace with Rome by proclaiming allegiance to Caesar and God, but the Christians did not. And the Jewish people were openly turning them in to the Romans. And the Christians were being imprisoned and killed. Okay, pretty tough situation. And so, again, Jesus commends them. He speaks well of his bride. What does he say to them? He says, I see the tribulation, the poverty, the slander you're experiencing. I see that you are materially poor, but I want to remind you that you are spiritually rich. You possess the fruits of the Spirit. You are rich in God. And the attack that you're experiencing is from Satan. And it's about to get worse. Some of you are going to be thrown in prison and killed. But do not fear. Now, this time, Jesus gives no rebuke of this church. And in that, we see this tenderness and compassion of Jesus for his suffering bride, To the suffering bride, he says, I will come and rescue you. Jesus acknowledges our suffering, and he declares himself Lord over our pain. So suffering is not a sign that we lack faith, but it is a sign of the depth of our love. And so we must see Jesus this way as well. His suffering is not just a payment for for our sin, but it's also a demonstration of his deep love for us. And so then he gives a commission to his bride. uh, To his bride, he is preparing his bride, and he says, "Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life." Here's the reward: the one who conquers will not be hurt in the second death. What Jesus has in mind is when he returns to judge the world. He said, you don't have to fear that judgment. You will not be hurt in the second death. And so again, it's this beautiful bookend. He starts with, I died and came to life, and so will you. Okay, so that is uh, the church at Smyrna. Now let's move to our third church, the church at Pergamum. And so same address to the angel at Pergamum. Let's take a look at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So again, Jesus is saying, look upon me and see that I carry the two-edged sword from my mouth. I am the groom who defends my bride. Anyone who persecutes Christ's bride with the sword in this life, will themselves face the judgment of Jesus in the next life. This is a city where Caesar was also worshipped as God. And this is a very difficult place for a Christian to profess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his name is the only name whereby people may be saved. 
because to live here in Pergamum, you must profess Caesar as Lord and the only name under where people can be saved. Okay, so uh, in this city, Roman governors were granted the power of the sword by the emperor in order to put to death those Christians who refuse to acknowledge the divinity of Caesar. And so isn't this amazing that Jesus is saying, I am the one with the sword. You, you think it's Caesar who has the power of the sword? It's me that ultimately has the power of the sword. And so Jesus here again gives a commendation. Uh, he speaks well of his bride. Let's take a look at verse 13 of chapter 2. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So he's saying, listen, I see it. You are on the front lines. You are the closest to evil. You are in the toughest place. And in all that, you hold fast to my name. You haven't denied your faith, even when you saw Antipas killed, murdered for his faith. That is good. That is a, uh, a helpful and comforting commendation. But then here he gives his rebuke to this church. Let's take a look at verses 14 and 15. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. All right, so his rebuke to this church is this. False teaching, bad theology has entered the church. And he gives this reference that comes from Numbers 25 that talks about the prophet Balaam, who advised the king of Moab to seduce Israel both sexually and spiritually. And then he gives another reference to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, uh, who were again blending pagan worship with the worship of of God. Now, the false teachers in Pergamum aren't threatening Christians with the sword. They aren't saying, hey, proclaim Caesar um, or you'll be killed. Uh, what's happening is, in a good way, the Christians are refusing to deny Christ even with the sword. But at the same time, they see no problem with participating in pagan ceremonies and sexual practices which are ever present in the civic life of Pergamum. And so Jesus tells them, repent. Turn from this pagan worship. Verse 16 tells us this, Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And so Jesus is saying, listen, the sword of Jesus is either for you or against you. 
And so he's calling his bride back, back to faithfulness. Therefore, repent. He's preparing his bride. Verse 17 tells us this. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone so that no one knows except the one who receives it. All right, so there's a lot of debate on these couple things, but let me give you what I think is the best explanation. So as as God supplied manna to his people in the desert, in the Exodus community, just as he did that, he gives those who are in Christ, who repent and turn and trust to him, he gives them a spiritual manna, a hidden manna. And we find that in the Lord's Supper. Inside the bread, there is this hidden spiritual nourishing that Jesus provides through his spirit. And so he says, um, to the one who turns from sin, you get this hidden manna. And then he refers to this white stone. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. Well, uh, a white stone in this context was like uh, an Olympic medal. It was like a trophy that was given to athletic winners uh, so that they could enter the reward banquet. And the new name is thought to be the work of the Holy Spirit transforming believers to become like Christ. And so these things, these symbols of reward are for those who repent and continue, uh, continue faithfully in trial and in tribulation. So in all of this, Christ the defender is coming to defend his bride, the church, and transform her into a faithful partner who is devoted to her groom, who gives her a new name and brings her into the wedding banquet. All right, lastly, our fourth church, the church in Thyatira. Let's take a look at uh, verse 18, and we see the same address, the angel at Thyatira. Now here is how Jesus wants this church to gaze upon him. He says, look at Jesus with eyes like the flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. When you look upon Jesus, gaze upon the eyes of fire which can penetrate any soul. Look upon his feet of burnished bronze. This should uh, conjure up for us an image of Daniel 3. Remember the story of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus will preserve you just as he preserved them in the furnace. He will preserve you in your greatest trials. And his feet are so powerful, like metal, that can trample nations. So you do not have to fear. The context of this city, it's not a global city. It's more of a backwater town between cities. It's a city of tradesmen and labor guilds. And guess what it's known for? It's known for its bronze work. Isn't that interesting that we get that picture of Jesus with the burnished bronze? And so these people would know what a fiery furnace uh, working with bronze looks like and to see the glory of God in that. 
So in this city, in order to get work, you had to join a guild, like a union. And each guild identified itself with a pagan deity. And so the guild meetings would be held in the temple dedicated to that god. And guild members would then, uh, they were expected to participate in behaviors and in ceremonies uh, that uh, dedicated to those false gods. And so again, the people in this church, they seem to see nothing wrong with uh, participating in such practices. And so again, Jesus starts with a commendation for them to encourage them, to encourage his bride. Let's take a look at verse 19. There it says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. And so this church is growing in good deeds. It is growing in generosity. And they are enduring with patience in a very difficult place. And again, Jesus also offers a rebuke, a challenge to his bride, the church, to bring her along. And so the rebuke is this. He says, you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And this is an Old Testament reference to 2 Kings 9. And Jezebel was the wife of the wicked king Ahab. And she seduced God's people into witchcraft and idolatry. And so Jezebel is a symbolic figure in Revelation of a woman who is teaching the Thyatira congregation. And she is actually seducing them into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Her teaching is something like this. If you want to defeat the enemy, you have to know the enemy. You have to know them deeply. So go ahead, participate in all of these things in order to know the deep things of Satan. And so Jesus says this, that he actually gave her time to repent. What an incredible patient savior we have. With this kind of behavior happening, he says, I even gave her time to repent. But she did not. And so he lays out a consequence. Jesus says he will punish her and those who commit adultery with her unless they repent. And so he still holds out hope for his bride. He says that even her children will be struck down if she does not repent. And so Jesus is saying this, he will do whatever it takes to bring his bride, the church, back to faithful love. And so hear the warnings and turn, repent, come back. And then he gives a commission to the faithful in Thyatira, I will not put any additional burden on you. Just remain faithful until I return. And if you do so, here is the reward. I will give you authority over the nations. He says, I will give you the morning star, which we will see later in Revelation, is Jesus Christ himself. And John closes this chapter with verse 29. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, which aspect of Jesus should we be gazing upon as new creation church? Isn't it amazing that he gives this vision, this incredible vision of uh, who he is, what he is like, not just to individuals, but to the church. And he asks the church to gaze upon those things. What do you suppose his commendations would be for us? And where is his rebuke for us? I want us to think through that and pray through that over these uh, weeks to come. And to realize that in all of that, he is preparing us, his bride. He wants that our affections for him would lead us to holy sacrificial, patient endurance. And so the goal is not some uh, code of conduct, but rather the affection of our hearts. And he tells uh, each of these churches in the rebuke, the way to get there is to repent, to turn back to me. These are the first four of seven churches. We'll take a look at the next three next week. And I pray that as, as we've listened and heard, that we would have again a renewed vision of Jesus, of his beauty and splendor, and that we would hear what we need to gaze upon for our own church in this time and place, and that we would repent. We would repent of the ways that, that we have participated in these things, and that we would do it together as God's people that this would be a hope and a comfort for us, the bride of Jesus, his church. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, I give you thanks for this letter, your word today, to your churches. Lord, help us to uh, see ourselves in it, uh, to ponder um, both where you would commend us and where you would rebuke us. And so, Lord, help us to, um, to value our uh, theology, to value uh, the scriptures and our doctrine. But, Lord, that um, it would stir us to love, to experience you in love and to have love for one another. And so that the world would see you through all of that, through our love. Lord, I pray that the uh, temptations of the world around us to, uh, to accommodate, um, to merge uh, with the values of the world, that we would not be tempted by that. And so, Lord, I pray in repentance for our church where we have not loved, forgive us, where we have um, merged our values with that of the world, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would move in us to be a holy people uh, who is wholly affectionate for you. And so, Lord, help us to live that out uh, together. Uh, you call us not as individuals uh, alone to be a light to the world, but as your church to be a light. And so, Lord, help us by your spirit to be a light to the world. And Lord, give us the comfort of this picture of you, that you um, are beautiful, that you are powerful, 
uh, that you are patient, that you uh, are enduring, and that you have conquered uh, all that we fear, that you have conquered condemnation, that you have conquered sin and death. And so give us hope in all that. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.